I mean, she did let you in a little bit on her get-rich-quick scheme, $1.99 a month to, uh, be, to be under her care. But I'll tell you what, even if it was that much, she's worth it. She's awesome, so do not be, uh, do not be fearful there. Okay, will you do me a favor, and will you stand as we read God's Word together, please? This, uh, I'm looking forward to this section of Scripture um, it's, it's one that is near and dear to my heart, as you know. Uh, if you've been part of our church, this is the section for which we have come up with the name for our church. And so we're going to read this together. Uh, at the end of it, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, perfect. All right. That's perfect. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Please have a seat. I, uh, I asked the staff today in our team huddle before we got going to rate their excitement, their appreciation on a scale of one to 10 for the snow. And uh, we had everywhere from 10, we had some people who said 10, to negative 10, which as you know, was not even on the scale. So it can, uh, it, you can imagine that person's disdain for the snow. And I imagine some of you are in that same boat, but that's okay, you're here. And uh, the snow is here, whether you like it or not, and you get to worship um, Jesus, get to worship God today. I'm excited about that. So if you've ever either purchased a house or even built a house, then you know that this is indeed a very involved process. My friends, the Bandworths, who you just met earlier, they're actually very much in that process, and I like hearing their stories, um, particularly Katie, who comes with many worries. Um, and I like to ease those worries for her because it will be fine. But uh, in that process, if you're building or buying a home, then the standard operating procedure when you're buying this house is to have an inspection done before the purchase, right? This inspection is often like a very important part of the outcome of the sale. And the reason is, is because before you invest that significant amount of money, you want to know the condition of the structure that you're about to purchase, right? That's, that's an important thing. Home inspectors are excellent at finding everything wrong with the house, right? Regardless of how nitpicky it seems or not, um, they are excellent at it. In fact, I would say that it's definitely a viable career path for the hypercritical person. So if that's you, don't raise your hand, but just know that there's a really good opportunity out there for you. Now, here are a few things that might pop up on the inspection. You might 
here, there's an aging roof. That's a pretty common one, right? Uh, maybe there are parts of the house that need to be repainted, um, cosmetic damage to the walls and the floors, aging appliances. Now in a perfect world, like nothing bad at all would pop up. Um, but it's completely unreasonable to expect that. And these types of things are like, yeah, they're not ideal, but they're fine. They can be remedied pretty easily. But there are indeed a small number of things that you do not, absolutely do not want to come up on an inspection report. And one of those things is any issue related to the foundation, right? Like, you know that. You don't want to hear that. Foundation problems are extremely difficult to fix. Uh, they are often very expensive to fix. They can uh, not be ignored either, right? Or the validity of the structure could fail. So while walls can be moved and roofs can be replaced and floors can be resurfaced, but damaged foundation, that's going to be a very expensive, very big very timely project. The foundation is the thing that you build the rest of the house on. That's why it's such a big deal. You need a strong foundation if you're going to have a strong house. And so I think that's actually what makes the passage that we're in today so compelling. If you were here last week, then you know that we covered the first part of Jesus's conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he did so by giving us two separate analogies. I want to recount those for you. First of all, analogy number one was the two pathways. There is a wide gate and a broad road that many can find, and it leads to destruction. But the other pathway is narrow, a narrow gate, a narrow path, and only a few will find it, according to Jesus, but it's the path that leads to life. That's the path you want to be on. And then he has a second analogy. It's two types of trees. There's this bad tree, and he likens it to a false prophet or like a wolf in sheep's clothing, and it bears bad fruit. But there's also a good tree planted in good soil, produces good fruit, and it does the will of the Father. So Jesus uses both of these comparisons to highlight the difference between people who are moving towards human flourishing and those who are not moving towards human flourishing, right? And today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. And if I'm honest, I am really, really sad about that because I have absolutely loved and have been shaped by the sermon in so many ways. It has deeply impacted my mind. It has deeply impacted my heart. And I'm thankful for the conviction that it has produced in my life, but also for the way that it has soothed my soul. The sermon that we're about to wrap up uses one final analogy, and it's near and dear to my heart and to the rest of the staff. Our passage today opens up with a very clear and direct assertion from Jesus. Verse 24 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So when Jesus says these words of mine, what is he referring to? Just to make, it, make sure that we're clear, I want to take a few moments and just recap, recount what Jesus has covered so far in this sermon so that we know what he means, these words of mine. 
And this is gonna be just a quick play-by-play, and if you missed any of these and you want more clarity, you need to go back and watch them, that's great. Um, But I won't get too deep into them today. Just know that there are other sermons online that you can watch relating to these topics. So Jesus begins his sermon with the Beatitudes, which are this, this list, this set of traits that a person adopts as they move along the path of human flourishing. And I actually want to reread these ones in particular because they are incredibly powerful encouragements and distinctions. So it's going to be on your screen. It's from Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn there in your Bible, it's verse 3 through 11. Here's what Jesus said. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus gives us a description of the type of person that's moving towards human flourishing, and they're very countercultural to many of the things that we see today in popular culture. So Jesus goes from there and he moves into the salt and light teaching and he's encouraging us, hey, you are the salt of the world. You are a light to the world. You are examples of my goodness and my grace to be shown off to the rest of the world. And then in the next section, Jesus moves into this broader kind of body of the sermon where he's addressing the greater righteousness in relationship to this world. So Jesus starts this portion of the text by explaining how he is here to fulfill the law. Now, in this part of the sermon, Jesus contrasts two types of righteousness. He contrasts the behavioral-centric, the behavior-centric, the behaviorally-motivated type of righteousness that the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders at the time, they're trying to get people to just act right, to look right on the surface, not really concerned with what's going on on the inside. And Jesus is concerned with the opposite. He's saying, it's, it's great. Do the right thing on the surface, but I am concerned with the righteousness of your heart. Jesus' primary concern is the righteousness of your heart. And then he uses these six examples to illustrate this, really the difference between external and internal righteousness. And all of those examples, if you go through and read them, all of them are used to illustrate the very same point. Our behaviors are directly related to the condition of our heart. The way we act, the way we interact is related to the condition of our heart. And then he pivots from there, from behaviors that we should avoid to behaviors that we should embrace. And he lists three, although there are more, but he lists three specific ones, generosity, prayer, and fasting. And again, he takes us right back to the same idea that his primary concern for us is the condition of our heart. This led us to tackle the topic that Jesus talks about when he regards money and possessions and stuff, and he gets at how those things impact our heart. 
the relationship that money has to the condition of our heart, the relationship that things have, possessions have, stuff has in relationship to our heart. And Jesus punctuates this part of the sermon with a very bold and important line. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Notice that he does not say you should not. He says you cannot. It's simply not possible. You, were, you will either be mastered by God or by money. And of course, he encourages us to be mastered by God and the teachings of God, the teachings of Jesus. But he doesn't leave us without encouragement. He says, but hey, here's the reminder. Your heavenly father, God the father, knows exactly what you need to do anything and everything he set before you, and he will provide it. He's not just calling you away from being mastered by it. He's also promising to provide what you need. And again, we see that Jesus is far less concerned with our practical relationship to money, and he's far more concerned with how money rules our life. So from there, then Jesus goes on to the subject of judgment, a really fun subject, is it not? Biblical judgment comes in two primary forms, condemnation and discernment. And Jesus warns his audience away from condemnation. He's saying, do not judge, do not condemn others, or you too will be condemned. And with the measure that you use to condemn someone, that measure will be used against you as well, right? But he also says when in regards to discernment, when it comes to helping to making good decisions, that if we are invited to someone else's moment of discernment, if we're invited to do so, if we have the opportunity to speak into their life, that we're to do so primarily with love and grace in order to build them up. These are not moments to wear each other down. And so then after that, Jesus moves on to telling us that we need to ask, seek, and knock, that we are to pursue the matters that are important to God. And that if we do, we will find the things that we're looking for. And then Jesus concludes the body of the sermon with this very simple yet profound idea. Matthew 7, verse 12 says this, says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. He's saying when you're not sure how to proceed in life, you have a particular decision to make about the way that you're going to move forward in a given situation. He says, if it's difficult and complex, and many of them are, start with doing unto others how you would have them do unto you. Start with treat people the way that you want to be treated. Start with act in a way which you wish someone would act towards you in this similar situation. So all of these are examples of the words that Jesus says, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so we have the words. We have all of those examples. You can go back and read the sermon. It's two, actually three chapters. Verse, chapter five, six, and seven in Matthew is the entire sermon. I would encourage you to go back and read that in its entirety. After these last 10 or so weeks, they've all been fragmented, but they're all one giant sermon. So what are we supposed to do with these words, right? Like, what are we supposed to do with these words? 
It does not say, hear these words of mine and memorize them, although that would be helpful. It would, right? Scripture memorization is a good thing, but that's not what he says. It does not say, hear these words of mine and tell them to others. That's also helpful, right? We've all had the opportunity to share about our faith or share about what we believe. That can be a good thing, but it's still not what he says in this moment. It says, who hear these words of mine and put them into practice? Hear them, then go and do them. That's what Jesus is saying. Why? Why is Jesus discerning this particular thing? Well, I believe it's because when you do, Jesus makes it really clear that you become like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, why is it important to build your house on the rock, on a solid foundation? Because if I'm honest, there are some pretty awesome places that I would love to have a house, okay? Um, None of them, though, are located directly on top of a rock per se, all right? I think a beach house would be really nice. I'm more of a grass and a sand guy. My feet are sensitive, okay? Like, what What do you want me to do about that? I don't want to walk around on rocks and bare feet all day, but I want to enjoy them. But see, Jesus gives us this reason why our house needs to be built on the rock in verse 25. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 26 and 27, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So the wise builder, the one who builds their home, builds their house on a solid foundation will have a house that withstands the storms of life. Did you catch that? The wise builder will have a house that can withstand the storms of life. Meanwhile, the foolish one who builds their house on a shaky ground, and in this case, sand, which of course makes me feel convicted already about my beach house comment, that person will see their house crash down under the violent storm. Wise builder survived the storm. Foolish builder crashed by the storm. Okay, so there's a lot happening in this section, and I want to just take it idea by idea. So first we see that Jesus is helping everyone um, understand that they're building their life around a particular set of beliefs and that these beliefs act as a foundation. Everyone has a set of beliefs that they're building their life on, right? Some of them are real, some of them are are faith-based, some of them are just stuff they've made up. Like everyone though, every single one of us in here has a particular set of beliefs that we're building our life on. Some of those beliefs and principles um, you've consciously developed as you grow up and as you mature. And then some of these principles are just somewhat maybe subconscious or almost inherited from the people around us. We learn from our family. We learn from our friends. We learn from our favorite thinkers and even our least favorite thinkers. 
All of those examples shape how we live one way or another. And what Jesus is doing in in this moment is he's calling us to evaluate those principles, to evaluate those influences that we use to build our life on because some of them may sound like wisdom, may appear to be wise, but in the end, they're like the sand. They lead to destruction. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to read the Beatitudes again when I did it was to highlight that countercultural sort of manner in which Jesus draws us into, specifically into a life of human flourishing, right? So many of those things speak against kind of the, the, norm, the normal narrative that you hear in advertising and, and uh, when, that you read on the internet or, or whatever, whatever it may be. You listen to on the radio. There's lots of ways that, that you are being sold the idea of a particular life. But Jesus is inviting us to a different life, one that leads to life. So similarly to the two pathways analogy, there are different ways that you can choose to build your foundation. But Jesus wants to help us understand with one final analogy that one of those options, which of course we know is building our life on his teachings, leads to being able to weather the storms of life. And then the other option, which is still available to us, is building our life on sand, something besides his teachings, the one who ignores his teachings in particular, that one will lead to a very destructible foundation, a very destructible house. Okay, so why does this matter so much? That's a great question. You guys are always asking great questions. Okay, Jesus again reveals something very important. He says, there will be storms in life. It's not if the storms come, there will be storms. It just says when the storms come. It's not, hey, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, and then if the storms come, I mean, then you'll be set, right? Like insurance. Well, just maybe. You're not sure, but you'd rather have it than not have it because if, like, no, that's not what's happening. Jesus says, when the storms come. So I just want you to know, the storms are coming, right? Like, I feel like I I would not be a good friend. I would not be a good pastor. I would not be an honest person if I was like, it's possible for you to avoid the storms of life. It's just not. It's not possible. So Jesus is saying, be ready because it's not if, but when the storms come. Storms are coming. Maybe you're in one right now. Regardless, they are coming, and they are coming with some serious force. If you notice Jesus' description, the rains came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. It's not a pleasant drizzle. It's not a walk in the rain type of storm, right? It's a major thunderstorm. It's even a tropical storm or a hurricane type storm. But the house that built its life on a solid foundation did not fall. The person who built their life on the solid foundation did not fall. Now this is really great news. It really is great news. It means that there's a way that you can organize your life in which you can weather the storms of life. 
There is a way. That is actually really great news. Build your life on the teachings of Jesus and you will be resilient through the storms of life. Now I need everyone to listen to this next part very, very closely. This was an important distinction that came up that I wrestled with even in my own life as I evaluated what Jesus was saying. Here's the reality for everyone here, everyone who's gonna hear this. There are Christians in this room, people whose eternity is secure by the salvation that Jesus bought and paid for, who hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice. And they are the wise builders, okay? But there are also Christians in this room, people who have eternity secure, that are going to heaven, who are hearing the words of Jesus and are not putting them into practice. And that person is a foolish builder. There are people who hear this sermon right now, Jesus' sermon and mine right now, who are saved, who are going to spend eternity with Jesus, but are not practicing the way of Jesus right now. And that person's life is fragile. It's built on a weak foundation. And that person's home, their house, which is an analogy for their life, that person's house is going to crumble in the next storm. I hope that you hear how seriously I'm taking this. Because it might be one of you. And I hate that idea. I hate the idea that somebody in this room will be taken out by the storms of life simply because I didn't do a good enough job telling you, maybe, or you didn't do a good enough job of listening, or potentially you heard all of the things, you listened, and I spoke clearly, and you just ignored it. Whatever that case may be, I don't want the storms of life to take you out. I also want to be really clear about something. I am not talking about salvation. Just in case I wasn't clear, I want to be really, really clear. Romans 10.9 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, okay? But there's a life that you get to live now, right? Your eternity through belief in Jesus is secure, but your life right now has one of two pathways, one of flourishing, one of destruction. And the only way, I said this at the beginning of this series, two and a half, three months ago, the only way to experience human flourishing now is to know the teachings of Jesus and to put them into practice. So one evening last summer, there was a major thunderstorm that moved through Spokane. At one point, it felt like the most severe part of that storm was right over my house. 
Like the thunder was crashing so hard that it was like shaking and vibrating the windows. Have you ever been there? Sounds like somebody's subwoofer is up too high in their car, like that kind of vibe. You know, it's just like, what is happening? It sounded like there was cannon fire in my backyard, like there was a Civil War reenactment happening in my backyard. And you know what I did during that storm? Do you wanna know? Okay, good. I opened my front door and I watched it through the screen. I stood there in awe. This is incredible. This is an unbelievable display of the power of nature. That's what I was thinking. But the only reason that I could truly marvel at that storm was because I knew that in my house, I was safe, that that storm was not gonna blow my house over, right? That it wasn't gonna just take it out. Now, maybe I was naive, I don't think so, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I know for sure that my house was still standing and that there was no visible damage to the house. So I was able to enjoy this monstrous thunderstorm with awe. But if I was outside in the elements with no structure, with no security, or if I was even afraid that, man, this storm might just wipe out my house, much less enjoyable. Right? And there's people, you hear about these storms throughout the United States and other parts of the world where there are literal destruction of homes and houses, and it's terrifying, and it's sad. They are not standing at the door through the screen door like, wow, look at that. Babe, come here. Come check this. You know, like that's not what they're doing because their house, their life is on the verge of destruction. Unfortunately, some of the storms in our life will create immense fear and severe pain, overwhelming sadness. And those are the effects that we have of living in a broken world. But your life does not need to crumble as a result of those things. The only chance that you have of withstanding these storms is to have your life built on what Jesus calls the rock, the solid foundation. That's why we're Foundation Church. In fact, the storms, while unavoidable, they do not need to even be wasted experiences, okay? Jesus helps us see that storms, the ones that we experience, are actually useful for revealing the nature of our foundation. Right, giving us the opportunity to reevaluate maybe the practices in our life that shape our life, the things that we believe. Interestingly enough, the foundation passage is the end of this sermon, and I, as a preacher, find it hilarious. Jesus gets done with this incredible sermon, this mountainous sermon, and he finishes with this warning. Basically, this is what he's saying. If you listen to me, you will be good, and if you don't, your life will come crashing down. Now, I, I laugh at that idea of ending my sermons that way. Like, if I just got done with every sermon and was like, okay, I just told you all the stuff that you need to hear, and if you do what I told you to do, you're going to be fine. But if you don't, good luck. <laughs> what if that was just like my passing final instruction, like, have a good week? Like, that seems like not quite the way that, you know, you would end a sermon, but it is indeed what Jesus does. It's how he ends the sermon. Of course, we all know Jesus has special authority. Matthew actually highlights this because he's, he's God. He's God-made man. He highlights this in verses 28 and 29. He says, when Jesus 
had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We can be confident in the wisdom teachings of Jesus just as his audience was confident in that moment because we know that Jesus is more than a good philosopher or wise teacher, but he is indeed God. In fact, Matthew completes this proof of confidence in, verses, in verse 8-1, which is why I included it in the reading for today, even though it's not technically part of the sermon. It just says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. If Jesus was spouting nonsense, everyone hopefully would have left. If I was standing up here saying a bunch of wrong things that just were not true at all and that were in contrast to scripture and were mean, and if I did that, I would assume most of you would leave. Maybe not my wife because she's beautiful and gracious to me, but I think everyone else would leave. And Mike would have to have a conversation with me. Mike would be like, that was not okay. But instead, what we see and what we observe is that they were fascinated with what Jesus was saying. And my belief is that they were like, yes, this is what we've been feeling. We believe there's a particular way to live. And we don't think that it's this externally motivated behavior that the Pharisees are demanding of us. But we don't want to just walk away from the wisdom altogether because there's this way of life that Jesus is giving that sounds and feels like I need that wisdom. And so despite this like direct and exclusive nature that Jesus has in his sermons where he's calling us to one one particular way of building our life on his teachings, despite that narrow path that Jesus uses as an analogy, despite all of that, large crowds followed him. And there was probably some weird motivations for following him. They were like, dude, this dude's a freak, right? I want to know what he's doing, right? Maybe a little bit of that, but I think most of the people were like, I, I buy this. I need to know more about this. And I also believe that despite the countercultural narrative of Jesus' words today, that people still today will heal, hear these words be healed, and live in a way where their life will not be wrecked by the storms that are coming. So this is how I want to close. In fact, I'm going to invite the band to come up. I've already said it at the beginning, but I want to just highlight it again. There's a reason why we are called Foundation Church, and it's because of this scripture. If you've ever wondered why churches pick their names, I don't have insight to all of them. I only have insight into this one. And it's because we believe that we want to be a people who help other people build their life on Jesus' teachings so that they can be the strong disciples needed in order to not have the storms of life wreck them. It's important to me that your soul is secure with Jesus, salvation. And I read you the Romans passage. Believe in your heart, declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. But that is not the end of it because you still have life to live now. Lord willing, you will have many, many years. And if it was all about just getting to salvation, 
That is the primary thing, but if that was the only thing, then why wouldn't Jesus just recall us then? Like, you're saved, come to heaven now, right? Or whatever, that's not how it works. Instead, we get to have this awesome opportunity to live a life here and now. And there's two paths, one that leads to destruction and one that leads to life. And Jesus is calling us to the one that leads to life. So our philosophy of ministry here at Foundation Church is this, deep work in community over a long period of time. That deep work is training ourselves and each other to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do as Jesus does. We spend our time strategizing to build pathways to help people who call Foundation Church home find a way to enter into that deep work, to experience that deep work. It's not easy. It is indeed deep work, but it is necessary for your flourishing. We work to create spaces for this deep work to happen in community because we believe that community is a necessary component so that we can lift each other up. When one person is feeling the weight of the storm, another person can come along and build them up. And I wanna shoot you straight. I feel like I have all day today, but I wanna let you know that this is not a quick or easy process. Ah, that's so frustrating. I want it now. Yes, me too, I promise. But it's just not how it happens. It happens over a long period of time. Deep work in community over a long period of time. That is the church God has called us to be and is calling us to be, and that is how we're gonna spend our time and our resources and our thoughts, organizing around how to do that well. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how buying a house with a bad foundation is a bad decision, okay? I made that analogy, you all remember it, and mostly because it will be expensive and time-consuming and resource-sucking, but I wanna say this, I think the reason that Jesus uses the analogy of the weak foundation versus the good foundation to describe two types of people is because he wants us to understand that even if we are now currently organizing our life around the good practices, the strong foundation, there was a point in our life, it could be now, it could have been a point in history where we were on the weak foundation, where we were organizing our life around sand. And guess what? Jesus bought your house. He paid for you. When you were building your life on sand, he said, I want to make that investment. That's how loving he is. He didn't wait for you to organize your life around the principles of his teachings to be on a strong foundation and think, you know what? That Patrick, he seems like a good investment. I should save him. No, he recognized you on the sand with the shaky walls, right? The streams were rising in your life. The winds were beating against your house and it was falling down and he said, but I still wanna invest in that. I still want that to be my child. And the only thing that's left in that moment is for you to receive that. He's not gonna force himself on you. He's not gonna make it the thing. He's gonna invite you to the thing. But just know 
that when your life was desolate, when your foundation was wrong and broken and cracked, maybe it is right now, he still paid the price for you and for me. And so today, we're gonna pray. I wanna pray and then I wanna take communion together to remember this. I wanna pray this prayer, Jesus, I need you to rebuild my foundation. Help me to know your teachings and to practice them in my life. And whether you're nailing that or whether you're just like, I, I have not nailed that in the slightest. Today is a new start. Today is a new invitation, a new opportunity for each one of us, nailing it or not, to assign value to that and to do that this week, day by day. And so I wanna invite you into that process. I wanna invite you to receive the teachings of Jesus, to build your life around them, to know him, to experience him. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. I wanna invite you, if you want more prayer or if you wanna pray with somebody that we have, both Mike and Karen are over here, they're our prayer team. They would love to pray with you. Foundation type prayers, prayers of healing, whatever you need, they want to pray with you. But may we be a church full of people who are organizing our life around the teachings of Jesus so that when the storms come, we're not wiped out. We're not in a desolate place, but we're in a place where we're secure in him and with other people who are building us up and caring for us and caring for those around us who have storms in their life and they don't even know they need Jesus or his teachings yet, but we're there for them. So let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity, for a passage of scripture like this that is indeed so beautiful, but also so convicting the foreshadowing, the warning of the things that are to come, the storms in life, but you have offered us a different way, a pathway, a foundation, the rock, your teachings to build and organize our life around so that when that storm comes, maybe we can stand and look at it in awe and celebrate what you're doing and not be wiped out by it. God, I pray for blessing over every single person here, every person who's gonna hear this message online, every person who's gonna hear this message by idea through someone else's words, whatever it may be, you're the author of this, not me. The Holy Spirit is working in the lives of us who are listening, not me. And so God, I pray that it would continue, that it would flourish, that they would move towards flourishing in their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now on your seat, you should have a communion cup. We wanna mark this moment. We do this, try to do this every gathering that we can to receive this. And then this particular Sunday, it seemed really fitting because these elements, this wafer and this juice, while on the surface, admittedly, are very tasteless, literally, cracker, wafer, <laughs> and not very good juice, okay? I'm sorry, it's just what it is. But the symbolism, the meaning behind it for us, for those who follow Jesus, for those who are Christ followers, is significant. 
because they are tangible reminders of this grace that Jesus afforded to us by buying our foundation, by paying the penalty of our sins on the cross, by being that, that beautiful thing that Jesus did for us is wrapped up into these two elements. And the story of Jesus offering this to his disciples is one where he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're gonna do. So I'm gonna pray over these elements and for the Christ follower, this is a significant moment where they receive through taste and touch and sight tangible reminders of God's grace. And for those of you who are not, if there's anyone in here who's not a Christ follower, you're welcome to receive the wafer and juice and just know it's just that for you. And that's okay too, but we, we want you you haven't already to understand the significance of this because it's a beautiful invitation so let me pray over these elements and then we'll receive them and then we'll sing god thank you again for just these tangible beautiful reminders of your grace that as we chew the wafer and drink the juice what we are doing is remembering the gift that is the birth the death the resurrection of jesus the most pivotal point in history, God. We are remembering that today together as we receive these elements. So bless them and work in our hearts through them in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can receive the elements and then stand and sing with us, please.